We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. It is our Sunday SEC football conversation with Weldon Rodenberg. We got into a little bit of the game, but of course the storyline that everyone seems to be following would be Lane Kiffin, his future at Ole Miss, and the cost of that uh, in Saturday's loss to Arkansas, the kind of pros and cons of the entire situation, and where, where and how we think it plays out from here, plus a look around the SEC and soccer corner. So, good show. Think you'll enjoy it. Uh, buckle up. But before we get to that, I wanted to remind you that the podcast is brought to you by Ray Stevens of Square Real Estate. Ray is a licensed real estate agent based in Oxford who can help you buy or sell a home, whether it's a two-bedroom condo or your five-bedroom townhome. Whatever it is, just give him a call. He will give you options in your price range. He takes pride in providing individual service to each and every one of his customers and helping them find homes that they will cherish for forever. It's a great time to be an Ole Miss fan. Well, you know, two days ago might have. Ole Miss is 10-2. and two. They're good at football. Or, excuse me, 8-2. and two. They're good at football. You know, no better time to have your own uh, getaway in Oxford. Maybe you're looking for that two-bedroom condo, tired of paying for overpriced hotel rooms or staying at friends' places and want a place of your own. Give Ray a call. He'll help you find a place that's awesome and within your price range as well. Maybe you're looking to sell a home, go from one condo to another. Maybe you live in Oxford, wanting to put the house on the market. That can be difficult. Ray takes the hassle away from that. You can also provide you options in finding your next home. All you have to do is give him a call at 601-624-4824. Ole Miss guy, loves doing business with Ole Miss people. I wouldn't send you to someone I don't trust. Please give him a call if you're in the mo- in the market to buy or sell a home or condo. 601 601- 624-4824. Tell him I sent you and he will get you all set up and squared away. Broker number is 662-832-7777. Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Skybox raking it in on NFL this year, over 60% on that and college. Stop paying the bookie. You want to be paying him and having you ask where your supplementary income is coming from. All you have to do is go online, go to skyboxsportspicks.com, find a picks package that fits your price range. You can go all sports, you can go specific sports, college, NFL, try for a day, a week, a month, whatever. I'd recommend going with the year-long all-access pass. It will pay for itself and then some. And boom, you're all of a sudden better equipped to profit than you were five minutes before signing up for Skybox. They'll send you their picks 
a nice little color-coded spreadsheet organized by unit, what they like most, what they uh, kind of advice. It's basically a menu. It's basically a playbook to make money. They're the only way to profit in the long run. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. College basketball, their bread and butter that they absolutely murder every year. I cannot overstate that or uh, enough. It's not possible to overstate how good they are at college basketball. That's coming up. No better time to sign up right now. Skyboxsportspicks.com. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off any purchase. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if Ribby Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me a couple times a week, plus discounted meats. Right now it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Just go show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you set up with that. Then go find all of your own favorites because Oxford is so lucky to have a place like LB's. Weather's getting cooler. Got Thanksgiving coming up. Throw something delicious on the grill from LB's. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is Weldon Rodenberg. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's football correspondent, former, former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, Weldon Rodenberg. The Rebels lose 42-27 in uh, Fayetteville. Not really sure that's indicative of how the game went. No. <laughs> uh, I imagine this podcast would be a little bit different than many of the ones we've done in the past, uh, particularly on Sundays after these games. But uh, what's up, man? Uh, how, how are you? What up? Spend the weekend watching football. What's what's been happening? Yeah, one of the rare weekends where we're not traveling to to who knows where for some sort of function. So where it was in town, uh, kind of like the whole country, it was a little rainy, a little cold. So there wasn't really much of an issue staying inside and watching football. Uh, I did have some family in town. We went to dinner, and so I kind of caught I caught like the whole first half of that game which is really all you needed to see yes. uh, the second half is a little blurry after a few uh espresso martinis but um I, I think that's probably for the best had to kind of drown the sorrows out in some way because it was frustratingly predictable yeah it really was and I gotta be honest I was the same way so that game got to 35 to 6 at halftime and with what was going on in Columbia South Carolina for really for the first time that I can remember I actually moved, only had a one TV setup going, but I moved the Ole Miss game to the laptop and put Kentucky, not Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina on the main TV. And to say I paid much attention to the second half, particularly after the third quarter, would honest to God just be a lie. I mean, they were never really in that game, as we'll get to in a second. I'm not necessarily sure he was even about the game, but I mean, for the first time, I think definitely since we've been doing this, but for in a long time, I didn't really pay much attention to the second half and I didn't go back and watch this thing again. It just like, I mean, it was what it was. I know that's not exactly dynamite analysis, but Ole Miss just didn't really have a, I say have a chance from the start. This game had bad vibes written all over it from the start. And just from the way the game started to the dart opening fumble, there just wasn't much to get invested in like that I never really felt like they had a ton of a shot in this game I guess if you know you have the kind of phantom tough hold that would have made it seven to seven but after that it just felt like a very rapid unraveling and you kind of knew where it was going to go and sensed it really from the second or third possession on oh yeah I mean I mean I texted you from like the first drive I think after like literally the first play I was like this team looks freezing this team looks like it could want to be anywhere else than Fayetteville, Arkansas right now, whereas Arkansas, I mean, the the stadium was electric. Uh, it was their first night game of the year, um, which is why it was packed, and so they're so excited for a team that's been pretty underwhelming this season. But 
once they uh, didn't convert that fourth and seven, where they had just a terrible holding call, I mean, I could just tell you, the game was over. And we'll get into the whole, like, you know, were they distracted? But at the end of the day, when you're going on the road, you, you bring your ability to run the ball and tackle. And they didn't tackle. And no matter how many calls went the other way, they were they didn't tackle the entire night, and um, I know they put up some some nice yards and garbage time. But for all intents and purposes, this game was you could call the final score of this game thirty five to six because everything that happened in the second half was completely irrelevant uh, to both sides, except for some some good stats for Judkins and Evans. Um, I mean, it, it was like I said, frustratingly predictable. I mean, all of the situation. I mean, the coming off of a crushing Bama loss, all of the the Kiffin stuff that's floated around all week where we live in a day and age where these kids obviously are seeing that. Uh, I mean, how focused was this coaching staff? I mean, it's, I believe me, I've been in a building with some turmoil and I wouldn't necessarily call this turmoil, but you know, it's always in the back of your mind of what's going on. And, and this team, I mean, especially, I mean, just from sheer execution just looked like they wanted to be anywhere else. And you know, really, really good football teams when they ha- are in a situational spot like this, going on the road, cold, off of a tough loss, another team that's like gaining a little bit of momentum, like really, really good teams overcome that and defeat, you know, the sharp money, defeat the situational spot. I think Ole Miss is a good team. They are absolutely not a really good team. So when it got down, I mean, I think I tweeted after it was 14-0, it's Carter gif of him just saying it's over because it wasn't down. They couldn't get Sanders down. I mean, they had opportunity to make plays early and when they didn't absolutely never bounce back once uh, offensively or defensively, uh, pretty, pretty poor performance. Um, And I mean, it's really kind of irrelevant to the entire conversation about this season, which is what we mentioned last week. The games are going to be, much of a talking than the coaching do. Yeah, so Ole Miss has 700 yards in this game, and I've noticed this for a couple of years now, and it started in, like, the NFL where you watch on, like, Sundays, and you're like, wow, like, Kirk Cousins had 330 yards through a couple of touchdowns. It's like, well, I actually watched that game. Like, he wasn't that good, um, and they didn't win. And, like, that to feel like where some of this, like, raw stat stuff became to seem a little bit meaningless. And, you know, you have to watch if you after watching this game, Ole Miss puts up 700 yards of offense. They ran for they outgained them by 200. Yeah, and put up 460 yards of offense. You got to think Alabama game aside, um, which they ran pretty well in that game, but like two of their last three games, if you take the AM game and the Arkansas game, they ran for almost what nine, almost a thousand yards, 900 yards and some change in those two games. And they have a three point win and a double digit loss to show for it. I mean, that's like service Academy type stuff. You could say in this game, I don't know, 450 or so were meaningless because there was a point in the second quarter where they were only down 14 or 21 to three. And they did have like 250 yards of offense. So it's like that part's not meaningless. They're still kind of in this thing. But after that, it just became a wash, I guess, kind of in this modern day and age in college football with all these analytics available, some of the eye test stuff matters too, does it not? Because to like say like, wow, they played well offensively, it's just not really objectively true because of the situational stuff, the penalties, despite just an absolutely massive yardage total. No, I mean, there was a lot of empty yards in this in this game. Um, a similar trend of like really struggling once you get into opponent's territory. Uh, I mean, the, the of course, the fourth and seven, I think they missed two field goals. Yeah. Or missed Cruz- two. 
one. He may have missed one in the second half. I can't remember. The first one looked like, not that it really matters, the first one had to be a bad hold, didn't it? Because that came oh off wonky, and Cruz has been money all year, and he nailed another one. But point being, yes, they, they didn't capitalize. No, they just didn't capitalize. Again, it's it's a consistent issue they have not fixed. And, I mean, my guess is they probably will not be fixing it this year because it kind of is what it is at this point. You are who you are through, you know, 11 football games. Um but, yeah, it, it is going to be weird to look at that box score to see, you know, they ran for over 400 yards, had over 700 yards of offense. But, like I said earlier, this game was 35-6. to six, And for, for the life of me, that will be the final score in my head because nothing mattered in the second half of this football game. They were not coming back. Arkansas completely let their foot off the gas. I mean, they could have put up, you know, 60 if they really wanted to. And, honestly, I'm a little shocked they didn't try to just for, you know, kind of to make a statement and make a point. Um, I mean, it was it was really, really embarrassing. It was an embarrassing effort um, that I think this was probably the first one of the Kiffin era where it was like this was just absolutely not what we expected, um, not the game plan you'd expected, not the effort you would expect um, in three years. And you know, like we like we said, it culminates and you have to feel that this was a distracted football team. I think that would be fair to say, but it's also fair to say that defensively, you know, they have not had it and it doesn't matter how distracted you are. If you don't tackle, you're not going to win the game. Um, If you don't block, you're not going to win the game. I know they ran for all those yards, but you know, pass game wise in the first half, which is the only half that matters. Like I said, I mean, they were all over dart Um, and they have a really good front. You know, they've led the league, and sacks, I think they still own that that record. I mean, they got Jaden Daniels like four or five times. They are well known to be able to do that, um, and they just did not hold up. Uh, I mean, there's there's only so much we can talk about this game. I mean, it, it was a total disaster from really every single standpoint. Yeah, I really have two more notes on that. Is And you mentioned the red zone offense. It's been a problem for most of the year. What do you attribute that to? Because you think about the red zone, the field shrinks a little bit. But you think a team that would be able to run the football the way Ole Miss does, at least on paper – would have some success in there, but the drop back passing, particularly pass blocking, has been pretty, pretty rough. They've, I would say, done a better job of utilizing some one on one matchups. I mean, clearly now at this point in the season, they do feel like Malik Heath is a guy that's a mismatch against virtually every person he goes against, but they haven't had a ton of success with that in the red zone. A lot of the passing offense has kind of been deep ball or bust. I'm just curious, like, what do you, what, what would your diagnosis be of the red zone struggles? Because again, you know, just surface level, you think, oh, this team should probably be okay in the red zone. Got a quarterback that can run it okay, they run it all right, and they have some decent, you know, outside matchups. But that is clearly not the case. Why do you think that is? I think one of the things I've noticed is, man, they they just have some terrible penalty timings in the end zone. And I'm not talking like bad calls, like the the holding in that game. I'm talking a false start in the red zone. Uh, an offensive holding in the red zone, an offensive pass interference in the red zone. I mean, you've seen it game after game. They have just terrible, terrible, terrible penalties there. And, you know, we've mentioned multiple times that when this team gets penalized on first down or second down, they really struggle to move the football any further. Um, I think that once you get in the red zone, you're usually adding an extra player to the box because there's less space. So you can play more man-to-man. And Dart has really struggled fitting the ball into tight windows. I mean, there's been multiple throws throughout the season on some of these RPO slants in the end zone where it's like that ball is either tipped or could have been picked or should have been picked. Um, and then the of course, interception yeah. he had was a one read all the way and threw it right to him. 
Yeah, I mean, exactly. So, I mean, there, there's all of that, you know, kind of begins to to mount upon itself. Uh, they haven't ran the ball very well in the red zone. I think the only real success they've had in short yardage was going to that wildcat deal. But you can't really pull like, you know, the Saints Taysom Hill stuff on second down. I mean, you the court like Dart is playing well enough to where you really don't want to mix up that too much. Um, but I mean, they used to say score from far because you don't want to have to get in the positions you're in in the red zone. Uh, I think the lack of a tight end as like being a real weapon in the in the red zone has been pretty big. I mean, Trigg had that game early. I know it was against a shit team um, where he had like three touchdowns and should, really should have been four. They don't have that anymore. And they really have not used Mingo down there as well. Uh, I think they get a little cute. I think they pull out some like kind of one play a game plays, um, maybe not even trick plays, but kind of misdirection plays. And they have just really been pretty ineffective. Um, it, it, I mean, there's just so many different reasons. And I, I think I've that's kind of all I've seen and thought about. Uh, I mean, the receivers like not really getting them schemed up to be open. It's a lot of one-on-one battles and, you know, they've won their fair share, but they also like, you know, especially if they just play like a, a kind of two cloud coverage, you know, there's not really a lot of room for them to do anything. So, I mean, it's just constantly an issue. And then Dart uh, running the ball wise, I mean, just, he's never really had a whole lot of success running the ball in the red zone uh, for whatever reason. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a lot of different issues. Uh, and on top of, of that, like this is play. this team is not we're now 11 games in. This team has only really played from behind at any point in three of them for, for any large chunk of time. It's uh, LSU. It was A&M where they eke out a victory against a really bad A&M team. I'm not trying to discredit that in hindsight. They did play well in that second half. But in, in this game, right, Alabama, they only really trailed in for, you know, 10 minutes in the fourth quarter or whatever it was. Like, not like I don't even know if it's correct to say this team is not designed to play from behind. I do think with the way they run the ball and the lack of the vertical passing game at times outside of some deep balls, that probably I, I would say he has been better in the vertical passing game in the yeah. past few games. I would say that's something they've improved on um throughout the year, which is exciting. I still think the intermediate has been quite an issue. And so, like to add on to that, it's I don't want to do the official thing again, but for a team, the way Ole Miss is constructed to have a touchdown taken off the board once on the phantom hold, but the other one that was probably actually a hold, not probably. That's definitely a hold. I mean, he, he like, I mean, just completely hog racks him, hooks him, and it was definitely a hold. Having those taken off the board dramatically changes a game for a team like Ole Miss. Like it does for any team to some degree, but I feel like particularly for this team that's significant. I don't know if the game would have gone any different, but like if you can get it to 7-7 seven, seven and kind of settle in, you know, maybe it goes a little bit of a different way because to their credit, I thought they came out a little bit flat. I don't know, but didn't execute or focused or whatever you want to call it but they didn't quit in the second half. So I'm just wondering like if it would have turned out different to some degree in that regard, but it doesn't really matter. The last thing I had on this game was the defensive side outside of the second half against A&M Alabama. And I guess I'll give them credit for Kentucky, but now you look at Kentucky week after week and you're like, ah, they don't. Well, for who they were at yes. that time, I'll, I'm willing to give them at least like 50% credit. So give them two quarters. That's basically eight quarters of football where they've been pretty good defensively, particularly against the run. But the rest of the the time, particularly against formidable opponents, 
They've been really bad. You mentioned they didn't tackle last night. I mean, Arkansas averaged, what, like eight yards a rush or whatever it was, some ridiculous number. Like, it's it's just – like, they haven't been very good. And I, I wonder, you know, in this modern day and age of college football, I mean, it's kind of a it, – it's as results-oriented as it's ever been. And I just wonder, do you think like, – I'm going to directly say, like, do you think there will be a change? But do you think you have to look at that? Because I don't think this defense is – totally talent division maybe the depth isn't what we thought it was but I don't think they should be this bad and honest to god they've been a liability for more of the year than they haven't did you watch the TCU Baylor game I did a decent bit of it did you notice what defense TCU plays three two six they do they fly around this team I mean TCU looks long they look like they have fantastic angles. Um, the they defense, look like 2021 Ole Miss, honestly, to some degree. They do. I mean, they really, like, are really impressive. And Baylor was, like, in their, you know, pull out all the stops uh, on offense. Um, but what TCU does that Ole Miss has been unable to do is really get pressure and kind of break up the box with three guys. And then they have two linebackers who are big and physical and fast. Ole Miss has two linebackers who are physical, but they are small. And if that ball gets to the edge, they're not catching them. And you saw it with Sanders last night. When that ball gets to the edge, I mean, it was it was almost housed. I mean, every every time, or at least it felt like it. Um, if, t- if you watch TCU, they give up a ton of yards. They give up. I mean, they gave up multiple chunk plays on the ground to Baylor but they are phenomenal in the red zone and they force a ton of turnovers because they play pretty complex coverages with a lot of really long athletic guys in the back end. Ole Miss for the first time, I thought they looked very, very, very lost on the back end. I mean, they were guys, I mean, if you couldn't tackle KJ, I mean, they were guys wide open all night long. They got beat one-on-one multiple times in the red zone and just deep down the field, they just looked lost. You can call it, you know, that the scheme being the issue. And I don't necessarily disagree with you, but there's a team that's undefeated. Who's played a lot of really good football teams running the exact same thing you're running. And it's been successful. I mean, they held Texas to 10 points. Texas may not be that good this year, but they sure as hell have some offensive firepower. They did that on the road. So I'm kind of I'm kind of done after watching that full game of TCU. I'm kind of done questioning the scheme. I, I think they just have been really poor at tackling. I think they've been really poor at getting to the quarterback. And even when they get there, they've been poor at finishing. And then it's really, man, the, the safeties. They're coming down and, and the run fits, which is so key, especially when you have three down linemen, have been really poor. Uh, missing tackles. Uh, I mean, just missing assignments. It, it just was not a good all around. Uh, and they've, they have depth there, but they really don't, right. you know, just playing a lot of players doesn't mean you have depth. You know, it's just because you got to get some guys some rest, but it's not like the the guys you're bringing in are really game changers. And it's not, hasn't felt like they've had guys making plays, even the starters. I mean, they don't force a lot of turnovers, at all, especially, you know, interceptions. I mean, I remember last year, A.J. Finley, I mean, he was all over the place. You know, DeAndre Prince would make plays all over the place. Even Miles Battle had a few really good interceptions. Um, you've kind of lost some depth with Igbenosin not playing as much because I guess they've kind of lost – either he lost his confidence or they lost his confidence in him. 
uh, I mean, I'm kind of wrapping around and, and just ranting, yeah. but I, I kind of don't care about the three, the three man front anymore. After this game, it's so much more than that. And it's something that's going to have to be addressed coming in the next game because Mississippi state may not run the ball a lot, but they're going to give you a lot of short mesh routes short screens, you know, quick screens. If you don't tackle, like, for four quarters, they're going to get you eventually. Yeah, and I thought for a piece of this game, like said, Johnson actually looked pretty healthy, and they were getting after the quarterback a little bit. They just couldn't want to finish. Couldn't get him down. And then, like you said, they they lost receivers all night long, which was just a brutal combination on the top of the fact that you couldn't tackle Rocket Sanders. I don't really know what there is to do with that. But I'm I'm fascinated to see how they address that in the offseason, I guess, as we transition to what – the offseason might look like is probably the thing everyone wants to talk about. You know, Neil, I thought wrote a pretty good column last night. I say pretty good. It sounds like I'm undersowing him. I thought it was a pretty spot on column uh, regarding that. It's fair to ask if this was a distracted old Miss football team. Um, I agreed with Kiffin's sentiment that they didn't necessarily come out flat. They just didn't execute well in the game. And maybe that's a lack of focus. There's probably a difference between focus and not having any energy. I don't really know. Those are like things to hard to tangibly quantify, but I yeah. did kind of notice early on in the game, it was like, man, these guys just look out of sync. It's not like they don't want to be there or they just have no energy. It's just like, they're just not on the same page at all. It's almost like they again, distracted, maybe the perfect word with this. Yeah. I, I thought I felt that last night. Maybe that's not true. Maybe they just didn't play well and couldn't recover out of a hole. But man, for the start of that game, they just looked completely out of whack. And with everything that's gone on with this week, with the roller coaster ride of emotions that it's been from, you know, the whole Kiffin to Auburn standpoint, he clearly has no desire or no intention to kind of tamper that down. And he could have done it in a single tweet. Again, doesn't really uh, matter. Not that he should necessarily from his, you know, personal standpoint. Yes, exactly. But I just wonder, like, I mean, I guess here's a simple way to put it. Do you think this had an effect on the team this week and how much? Uh, I think it definitely did. I definitely question how um, involved and how focused the head coach was, um, which is where it all starts. Um, I've said multiple times on this podcast that I've not been very impressed with Kiffin's teams on the road. Um, I, I think this was like a perfect culmination of that. Even if you, of course, you have to add in the fact that this team was probably had some distractions that were impossible to get over. Um, but now if you look at like what this A&M team is, like I know we won that game, but it makes it look a lot less impressive. Ooh. The LSU game was just, you know, you know what that was. And then you kind of look at this team at home, how they played against Alabama. You know, they should have won that game. You Best know, game of the year by far, I think. Yes, but the, it, I just I've never been impressed with the way they've approached games on the road. Um, I've never liked the way offensively uh, they feel so predictable. It's hard to explain. And then defensively, it's kind of like earlier in the year they brought the hard hat. But since the year has gone on and they've had these issues on the road, it's like they knew it was coming. It's like a psychological thing with them. And it's hard to explain. I mean, a and that game could have gotten squirrely really quick. If they don't get that fake punt. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of issues. I think a lot of those issues can be, you know, used as excuse by, you know, us. Because, like we said earlier, the matter of the fact is they didn't block and they didn't tackle. And you don't win a lot of football games if you can't block and you can't tackle. Um, so we can say that they were, you know, they were distracted and there was issues and, you know, but – 
it, it doesn't really matter. It, the officiating doesn't really matter. Like I said, really good teams come out and kind of overcome that no matter what. And I think it's pretty clear that this team is good, but they're definitely not really good. So all of that coming together was, you know, a recipe for disaster, which is what that game was. Right. You look at who they are at eight and three heading into the Egg Bowl. Their wins are over a Georgia Tech team that actually that seems to look better and better by the Yeah, way. but that you can't even call it the same exactly, Georgia Tech it's, team. It's a completely different football team. They, they don't yeah. have the same coach. I mean, look, I'd heard a lot of different stuff about like the whole Jeff Collins thing. And uh, I'll put it to you very vaguely and mildly. They seem very thrilled to get him out of the building. Correct. And so that's not the same team, but you got, you got that. You've got a Kentucky team that just is not very good. Apparently at all. You've got, I mean, they played Vanderbilt. I mean, I saw it's a not, it is not hyperbolic to call Troy the best win of the season. Oh, okay. I, you're going that direction. I was going to say Vandy. I think Troy is better than Vanderbilt. I okay. think Troy might actually be really good, which what? shout out to John Summerall, the one and only. Um, yeah, love that guy. I'm glad they're doing well down there. But the fact that we're having this Troy versus Vandy debate is probably just underscoring what we're talking about here. Like, And it's funny because, you know, Stephen Godfrey, who, you know, he does some really good work. I I can find him to be as pretentious as they come when it comes to covering, you know, college football. Uh, but he did tweet – in kind of a sarcastic, I know he, he he's like an old Miss hater because Ross Burke hurt his feelings or something. But uh, he asked, you know, what is Kiffin's best win at Ole Miss? And it's ridiculous to like have such a negative um, viewpoint discussion about the tenure of Kiffin because it's been really really successful. But when you kind of step back and look at it all, and if you kind of try to find what is the best win, I mean, it is very debatable on very different levels. I do not know the answer. I'll give you two candidates. I think this is a fun exercise. Tennessee on the road last year. Sure. Texas A&M in Oxford last yeah. year. Yeah. I'd start having to go to Arkansas 2021 in Kentucky this year, which kind of is brings like is kind of the point of this whole thing. What what did I miss one? What comes to mind for you? Those are the four. Those two other two are uh, the former two I listed are much better than the latter two. But outside of that, I I don't know. Like I, I yeah. don't know where this goes. I mean, t- Tennessee last year was the win itself was important because it was a huge road win, a controversial win um, against a Tennessee team that was kind of up and coming, but they were not really a good football team last year. Um, A&M at that time had beaten Alabama um, and were kind of like a hot commodity, but ended up kind of fizzling thanks to Ole Miss. So you get credit for that. I would um, say both those teams by the end of the year, total record, they were good, not very good. Is that fair? Yeah, I would, that would, I would agree with that. So uh, Arkansas last year would probably be the one. Um, and if you really think about that, what's so weird is that obviously could have gone either way. Um, and yes. they win the game, so no one gives a shit. And I, they get 100% credit for doing that. But it was an interesting exercise, an interesting thought, um, because we've always had, like, the is Ole Miss actually good this year conversation. And when you look at their record, they've played, you know, two good football teams, really good football teams. I'll call Alabama still really good, LSU really good. Um, and they lost both of them. And then they've now lost to a team that, no, this Arkansas team is not very good. But no, they beat the shit out of you. Um, so, yeah, I don't even know if they're really good. And I thought the question, though, you know, it's kind of trying to poke, 
you know, at Ole Miss fans because that's his thing, which is it's it's an interesting one. But uh, it wasn't necessarily an incorrect <laughs> question or you know thought uh, thought exercise on the whole tenure. And I don't even want to be like I said, I don't want to be negative about this tenure because this team is where they were to where they are it's is remarkable. remarkable. Um, but your expectations drastically change throughout the season. And if you look back at how it's played out, it does feel somewhat disappointing. Uh, the Alabama game, the second half of LSU, and then this whole debacle, it's like, damn, like you really had a lot of opportunities to to do something here and you didn't. And then it's the whole losing your coach deal that's kind of souring the whole thing. And then God forbid you lose the Mississippi State on Thursday. And then it's like, well, then what the, what the fuck have we been doing here the whole time, especially right. if he leaves? Like, what what is next? And I'm sure that's probably what we're going to get. <laughs> and to be fair, in terms of Godfrey's question, I think the COVID year is pretty much thrown out because, honest to God, I don't know who was good and who wasn't. I think probably the second-best team in the SEC that year, Ole Miss didn't play because of a cancellation. So you're talking about 2021 and 2022. When you right. talk about opportunities that he didn't capitalize on, Really, the only three are Alabama 2021, Alabama 2022, and LSU 2022, right? Those are the only three opportunities he hasn't cashed in on. So it's, like you said, it's an interesting exercise, not that it's necessarily like some damning indictment. I mean, I remember people – It's not, but it's it's, it's, you have to think about it and you have to talk about it because it's a real narrative that, like, they have had really good seasons without really, you know – pushing the barrier where you could have be in either yes. season. Because if you beat Alabama or LSU, I mean, this game notwithstanding, entering this game, you're looking at it in a whole different light. That lack of focus we're talking about is probably out the window to some degree. But I feel like that will – I think it's an important thing to go through because you look at their schedule next year. They go to Tuscaloosa. They add a trip to Athens on the schedule. They will play a pretty good LSU team I think could be really good. And who knows what the hell Auburn is. Like, if the, if he stays, and we'll get to this part in just a second, but, like, if he does stay, what we're talking about now could actually form into, like, a real concrete narrative if they're no-show, you know, a couple of those games. Because the, the opportunities will become more abundant next year because that schedule stiffens up a lot. I guess the one we missed was Baylor, but that's a bowl game. You lose Corral in, like, the first quarter, and it's Completely like, oh, irrelevant. I don't think that bowl game, yeah. Yeah, that's Not why fair. I excluded that one. So, on, I kind of add into the mix of this and kind of get to the actual crux of this. I asked you how much it affected them or you thought it affected them. This is, and I was trying to figure out a phrase to write it. I'm still in the process of like writing this. I phrased it as like the Kiffin tax um, because there's so much good that comes with Lane Kiffin, right? He's a, he's a brand. He's major program relevant from the start. He's an offensive savant, all of those things that we already know. And through the first couple of years, things were all good, man. He wasn't really a serious candidate for some of those other jobs. I mean, Maybe we probably should have looked in a little bit more to the fact that he struck out the Miami thing last year, probably a little bit longer. Yeah, him not being a serious candidate doesn't mean that he didn't want to be a serious yes, candidate. Those exactly. are two very different things. It's a good way to put it. And so now, as the success grows, he's become a more serious candidate, and Auburn being one of these jobs where, when you look at it, you know, best-case scenario, Auburn's the fourth-best job in the West and Ole Miss is the fifth. So you're talking one ring up the ladder here. And this is strung out the way it was. And so as much good as comes with Lane Kiffin, he is never going to be a guy who proclaims that he loves Oxford, 
he's never leaving. He loves the people and all that. And I get it. He had a little bit of a softer side to him in August talking about how he needed Oxford and he's grown as a person and all of that. That's very easy to say when you're not in the season and you have other teams calling you and your or programs calling your agents calling you. But point being, he's never going to be that lovey-dovey feely guy that goes to events and all of these things and kind of makes himself an established member of the community, you know, for all of Freeze's flaw, flaws, again, I almost feel disingenuous saying this. That guy loved Oxford. He loved being in the community and that type of stuff. Again, all of that other stuff notwithstanding, he was never going to be that. And so for all of the good that comes with Lane Kiffin, now you're starting to see the stuff that, you know, kind of taxes a program with Lane Kiffin to a very different degree. Mississippi State lived through this, through the Mullen era. Now, look, you know, yeah, I know he had Florida and Tennessee through the end, but there were never like huge major him being a finalist for stuff that I can remember knocking on his door up until the end there um, in that final year. But this is what is the kind of downside to the Kiffin thing. He has no interest in stopping this speculation. He loves having his name in the media cycle. Part of that is what makes him such a great national brand and what makes your program relevant. But the other side of that coin is this type of stuff. He doesn't want to stop it. He's always going to look out for himself. And every coach does that to some degree, but Kiffin to the nth degree, right? Even the come to the sip stuff and the way he does promote the program does feel very centered back at him more so than Oxford's a terrific place and all that stuff coaches do. I guess if you get my point, it's not a flaw per se, but Lane Kiffin is very much about Lane Kiffin. And now you're starting to see the effects of that. And I don't even necessarily where to go with this nest. Like, I guess to kick it back to you is we've hit this weird point where they're eight and three in the season. They're having a good year and what you thought might be a rebuilding year to some degree. And now because they put out that he does have a contract extension on the table, he is letting this play out. It almost feels like he's losing fan equity to some degree by the day because of the lack of throwing water on this fire that he almost seems to want to pour gasoline on instead is the best way I can describe it. And that taxes the program. And you saw it on Saturday night. Yeah, I, I think I can agree with that to an extent. Um, I think you do have to step back and realize just how these coaching things go. Yeah. Um, because he is, it's not necessarily in his benefit to get more money, to get more out of Ole Miss to just say, yeah, I'm going to stay here. And I, he would, I just don't think he would ever do that. It, it is part of having him as your coach, um, him having the reputation, whether true or not, that he moves around a lot and is looking a lot. Um, him, 100%, looking around the first two years at, while being at Ole Miss at other jobs, that you knew this day was coming. You knew the situation was coming. Um, I don't think it's necessarily fair for fans to really be down on him because of kind of what he has created here at this point in time. Um, but this will be a very interesting week to to test that. Um, because in my opinion, I don't think he's going to say a word about it. And after this egg bowl game, you're gonna hear whether he's gone or whether he's staying. And you know, we've talked a lot throughout this week, you know, going back and forth on different reasons. I'm I think he's gone. And I think it's going to be a fascinating week and a half for Ole Miss. Uh, I, I don't know why I think that. I, I We've gone back and forth, and we can kind of, you know, shed some light on our thoughts if you want to. Um, but it, it'll be just fascinating to see how the players respond to this Egg Bowl. Like, what kind of pride do they have? Because 
I just cannot imagine there's going to be any, you know, more focus or, you know, any less of a distraction this week than there was the week previous um, against a team who desperately needs to beat you for their own personal reasons uh, at state. Um, But yeah, I mean, this is what you get with him. This is what, you know, you've dealt with, whether you realize it or not, for two years um, that he's looked. He looked at this job in 2020. He looked at fucking every job that was out there in 2021. So, yeah, there's a little Mullen syndrome to it. Um, I think the more fascinating question to me is that, is this a Lane Kiffin deal or is this a two schools in Mississippi deal where you are always going to have this um, with success? I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I think Hugh Freeze is a weird example because I don't think he was would have ever left. He had plenty of opportunities to, whether it was Florida yeah. or um, or even like that weird second where the Jags, the Jaguars were I forgot maybe that, interested honestly. or not. Um, there was talk of Auburn and there's talk of everywhere. Um, but he was kind of a Mississippi guy and like he might have never left if it weren't for some hookers in Tampa. Um, That's right. So. I, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts on that are. I've I've been thinking about that a lot. Uh, you know, obviously with the back of my mind, thinking he's gone no matter what. So I I don't know. But it is that's more interesting to me than like is this a Kiffin deal because this is clearly him. I feel like that's the answer. Uh, yes, I no no I I agree with you on that. So we'll yeah we'll go back and forth just kind of like we did this week a little bit. So you seem more pessimistic that he's gone, and my answer is is I, I don't necessarily even like disagree. I'm just throwing my hands up and saying I don't know because. It's not like I've been around for a decade covering some of these things, but I have had a few experiences through the years and I've watched others from afar. And you can see how like these storylines and coaches going X or Y can often come down to like very weird details and they take a twist in the last 48 hours or something like that. And I, I don't know how this will play out, but the thing that I'll kind of share with you, and we were texting about this yesterday, is you mentioned, is this a two schools in Mississippi thing or is this a Kiffin thing? And I tend to believe it is more of a Lane Kiffin thing. I don't think Freeze is the best anecdote to point to that because you mentioned it was a weird example. But yeah. I do think there are plenty of people out there who probably that good coaches that Ole Miss could get. And I'm not even talking about replacement for Kiffin. Just say X coach was the program's head coach right now that would have tempered this and looked more inward and thought, I've got a great deal going. I think I have a pretty good team next year. I don't really want to entertain this any longer. Kiffin is never going to do that. So I do think it's a Kiffin thing in this sense. What, what is interesting to me is the historical thought of, well, it's Auburn versus the two Mississippi schools, or it's X school versus the two Mississippi schools. If you look at the, like, I say facts, the presumable evidence that we do have here, Ole Miss is going to get Kiffin to nine and a half-ish million bucks a year. That will make him a top five paid head coach in the country. I think they could go to 10 if it really goes down to it, but that's just caught an educated hunch. I don't know if that will happen, but point being that is big boy money. There is no longer the look, there is a, because of state law and some other things, there is a world where Auburn's like, you know, or whoever is like 10 years, 110 million. Ole Miss cannot do that. But outside of that unreasonable Godfather type offer this, I can't speak for state, but this whole Ole Miss thing of they can't really pay coaches to keep them. I just don't think it's necessarily true anymore. Then you look at the NIL aspect of it. John Cohen seemingly in an AL.com article that dropped Thursday night somewhat spilled the beans of, quote, unquote, they have a goal of $7.5 million for NIL and football every year. And, you know, that happens on the same day where Walker Jones goes on radio and 
kind of says, well, we're right around the same thing. I think it's somewhere between six and a half and seven. So point being, what we have to work with, the NIL stuff does seem to be similar. Who knows if Auburn actually has a lot more than that? I don't know. It does seem like the Chris yeah, Lowe thing. No, it's it seems to, to be a little bit nonsense where he said, you know, I know he's being hyperbolic, but it's 10 times the amount Ole Miss has. That just doesn't seem to be objectively true by any degree. So I guess what I'm getting at is I think it's a Kiffin thing because if you look at all of these things that he's working with and considering here, if he wants to go to Auburn, it's just because he doesn't want, just wants to go to Auburn. I don't think there's any tangible – massive gap in resources and support that you can really point to anymore. And he deserves credit for some of that. I think he's forced Ole Miss out of that and forced them to kind of open up the resources in the pocketbook and max themselves out. And so that's why I think it's a Kiffin thing, if that makes any sense at all. No, it does make a ton of sense. I think realizing where Ole Miss is compared to where they've been um, is in some way a cre- is absolutely uh, a credit to him for making them step up to the game. I think they are in a completely different atmosphere of competing. And then at the same time, if he leaves, it kind of leaves you being like, what else could we have done? Is right. this simply, you know, because you talk about all the absolute determinable factors in making a decision. Well, the other one is that Auburn's won national championships, has won the West, and there is proof of concept that if you do it correctly there, you have the chance to do that. There is no proof of concept that that is Ole Miss um, in the last 75 years or whatever. Um, and that well, is – that point, real quick, can I play devil's advocate? I know this is a dumb argument, but I do find this fascinating. 2010 Auburn national title, that's Cam Newton and Gene Chiswick. Does Cam Newton, if he goes to, I don't know. I mean, I don't remember what Ole Miss had that year. I don't don't tell me if he goes to Mississippi State, they won the national championship. No, that I wasn't going to go that far. If he goes, <laughs> I would have to look at another school, like a middling school. And if he stayed at Florida, or how about uh, how about uh, South Carolina? Spurrier had a good team that year. Do you think they might win it there? It's entirely possible. Yeah. Okay, and then 2012 when they play for it, that took sure. two acts of God. And I'm not saying that's not that the proof of concept. 100% valid and true, but they did it. Yes, exactly. That is, that's the, <laughs> and, that's then, the and, and you know, and then they won the West in 17 again. I mean, th- there's just things that they have been able to do that Ole Miss has not, which is yeah, also fair. why this year was so such a missed opportunity. And Bama was such a missed opportunity. And this Arkansas thing was such a disaster because 100%. this was a year to do it. And until – you can like kind of show that. And even Kiffin, it's like, this is probably not the way to think about it, but he probably thinks that Ole Miss has held him back from, you know, the ability to recruit and the ability of resources because they lost the games where in fact, it's because a lot of it's because your offense hasn't been able to score a touchdown in the second half. Um, So both all of that is true. I don't even necessarily agree with the point I brought up that it's a Mississippi problem for a lot of the reasons you said, because of how much, how many resources Ole Miss has pushed towards Kiffin, but it also kind of comes back to like, what does that list look like if he does leave? Who who do you hire if he does leave? Are you really on a different level? Because yes, hiring Lane Kiffin was a great decision. By no means was it a slam dunk that it would have ended up, you know, as successful as it, as it has been so far. So if you kind of go down the list and you end up with, I can't even pull a name out of the hat. That makes sense. Somebody that's not overly exciting. Um, mm. I mean, someone like, I mean, I like Jeff Levy a lot. If you end up hiring Jeff Levy as someone who's never been a head coach, 
has your program really changed? Has the perception really changed? Or if you go hire someone like Luke Fickle, yeah, it's like, okay, that's a difference maker. This guy brought Cincinnati to a playoff and has been well-known to only want to leave for Michigan or Ohio State. That's a big deal. No, you're not getting Dabo. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're not getting Ryan Day. And even, honestly, even like a Mike Norvell, that doesn't excite me. At, at, at all so it's like what does the list look like after and of course if he stays then you know point proven that you've really changed the narrative I don't even know if I'm making sense but I, I think the conversation we're having makes sense yes no no, no I, I agree with you I would like to continue this because that's something I thought about this week is I saw a lot of sentiment on the board and this is pre the Saturday night debacle is if he leaves, I'm done. Like, I don't care anymore. I'm not doing the season tickets. I'm not doing the Grove Collective, all that. And whether that actually is true or not, it doesn't really matter. But it would be a very demoralizing look for Ole Miss as a program in this moment yes. to lose Lane Kiffin to a literally one step above, which with the way Auburn's been for the last decade, for the most part, you could almost call it a half step above. Yeah. To lose to this version of them, lose a coach to this version of them, that would be very demoralizing. And honestly, part of me thought about writing something about this on Thursday and Friday where it's like, yeah, what is the point of all of this? Like, what, what, you know what I mean? If you're, if you're just going to be a feeder school to division rivals, like, what exactly are you doing here? But then as the week wore on, it kind of came back to, no, this is probably a Kiffin thing because Ole Miss will be a much more attractive job than it's ever really been if Kiffin were to leave and they need to hire a new guy, which would make the hire exponentially important in the history of Ole Miss athletics. And I don't really think that's hyperbolic at all. And so I've no, gone from like, yeah, this would be super demoralizing and maybe they just are a perennial bottom or middle of the road program to, okay, like you got stung, you got dumped at the offer altar here. If he does leave, you have to get this one right because this is your opportunity to continue this and potentially get it over the edge. One of these years that a guy that has more commitment, whereas if you don't, you're probably just exactly what maybe everyone thinks you are, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And of course, like I mentioned last week, I want Deion Sanders for a multitude Ooh. of different reasons. Um, Do you think he's competent enough to be a SEC head coach? And I don't mean that in like the way most people may think to mean it, but just the lack of coaching experience to go from JSU and the SWAC to handling an SEC program. Does that work for someone that's been in the building and know how that works? Does that worry you at all? Of course it does. It's, okay. it's, it's, it is a complete unknown. And it kind of goes against the philosophy we just talked about of like, you know, hiring a, a proven head coach and like continuing the trend. But also this is a weird time in college football. And the one thing Ole Miss has always lacked compared to its counterparts is to be able to recruit elite talent. Yep. Um, that will never be an issue with him. Um, I mean, hell, he maybe, got what's his face to JSU. Uh, yeah. Hunter. Is that his Hunter. name? Oh, yeah. yeah. And then that not just him. I mean, there's been other guys that have transferred in, which is also a huge part. Um, when they've left schools, they transferred there. I, mean, I think a, an Auburn defensive lineman transferred there. You know, some Florida State guys transferred there. Um, you cannot be boring at Ole Miss. If you are an eight-win, nine-win team and you are boring, then you're just kind of being unserious about competing. Is it an example of that? What's that? Isn't Leach and State an example of that, where they kind of had to do something different, but it wasn't over the top recruiting players different? It was a we'll have a low floor with this system different. It's like it's like hilariously enough, it's like a Dave Dorn at North Carolina State. Yeah, a verifiably good football coach 
and no one cares about that program because he is so boring. Uh, it just doesn't matter. Like you, uh, Ole Miss, the thing they have going for them, whether it's real or not, is that they're usually the fun school. They're usually the fun program. They have been for the last three years with Kiffin. Even under Freeze with the way they played offense, they were fun. The best years in Nut, which is kind of before my time of really knowing a lot about Ole Miss, they were still fun. Jeb and Steve, Rebels. those guys oh, yeah. in the cluster. I mean, those are fun teams. The teams had been bad, you know, no offense to myself, but, you know, the teams with Luke for a multitude of different reasons, they were not that much fun. Um, obviously, for there was a lot more going on there than just football, of course, but that Dion makes you fun. Yes, there may be some real growing pains from a X to no standpoint, but as we've seen, if you can get Joe's, Jimmy's and Joe's, the X's and O's, they'll figure themselves out. I mean, he was a real contender for TCU. That That's a fact. I mean, he almost got that job. I think the, the, the kind of the reports and some of the articles you read was that he was really impressive in that interview. If you hire him, you will keep the roster intact, which is also an incredibly important part of this. You will continue to be a huge brand, and you've shown that you're able to build the brand around the head coach. Uh, with Lane. Um, what will his staff be? I have no idea. It'd be really cool if he brought Mike Zimmer with him, <laughs> who is nice. as, a, as an analyst. Uh, he's pretty good on defense. I don't think that'll happen. He's gone through a pretty um, dramatic life change with his son passing away two weeks ago. So I don't know what it would look like, but if it's not a sitting proven head coach of somebody you've stolen or, you know, a really a name that makes a ton of sense, in my opinion, it's hard to look away from him. And he's been in your state, by the way, for the past three years. Um, and then, of course, the final thought I have this is, yes, it doesn't happen as much as it usually does. But you still find yourself struggling to recruit certain kids because their parents do not want them to go to Ole Miss for racial reasons. Whether that's valid, fair, unfair, that's life and the reality of recruiting at Ole Miss and, you know, and even some other places in the SEC, it's still there. I promise you it is. You will never, ever have that issue again with a black head coach. It will and, never happen again. And, like, some people I feel like maybe listening that will maybe, like, like wince and be like, ah, that's not fair. I will say just offer one example. I mean, you would have the infinite more examples. This is someone actually who did recruit kids. I talked to Tashim Johnson for the NIL interview I did with him for Grove Collective in the summer and I mentioned, I was like, well, did you know anything about the South? He's like, not really. I couldn't visit. And then I like told my mom, like, I might want to go to Ole Miss. And she's like, you're going to go down to Mississippi? Like, I don't know how comfortable I feel with that. She's like, no. He was like, no, mom, it's cool. Like, just trust me or whatever. So, like, again, just to, like, like offer something to that point and, like, to, to like, that is valid, that is something these kids think about. It's not a yes. deal, per se. In your own state, by the way. It is an issue in your own state. It is an issue from recruiting kids from Alabama or Louisiana. It doesn't matter. It's not prevalent, but it happens where, you know, you kind of that first reaching out is like this ain't happening. Yes. <laughs> um, that puts that to bed forever. Um, and that is a positive thing, by the way. One quick thing I wanted to get to, because I had another question about the Kiffin grass, grass is always greener or whatnot side of it. Sure. You thought it, you, you brought up the point about the brand. 
about needing to be an exciting brand and making the coach the brand. I read a little bit of sentiment and most of it was message board and some Twitter stuff. It's like, it was a mistake making Kiffin the brand. I couldn't disagree with that more wholeheartedly. I think that's one of the advantages Ole Miss has in their kind of fight to keep Kiffin. And I thought that's what made them fun the last couple of years. I think the ability to kind of just say, you are the brand, you have the control here. Chase made a very sentient point on the podcast this week. He's like, look, I'm not saying this is Nick Saban. I'm not saying this Alabama's run, but like, he has a Saban-like control and a Saban-like autonomy over this program that you don't really get a whole lot of other places, Auburn included. I thought it was hilarious that Auburn, I can't remember his 247 or Rivals guy was like, you know, it's a new day at Auburn. The boosters don't have any effect on this search. John Cohen's making decisions. Sure. Like, sure, man, you're saying this all after coming off a 12-month coup. Like, you know, sure, man, I, I definitely believe you on that one. I just think that the, the whole making them the brand thing is actually a smart thing for someone to do at a place like Ole Miss, whereas I read some some commentary with great interest of like it's a mistake. I don't know if you agree, disagree. I, I think it's a huge advantage for a place like Ole Miss. I think it's an incredible advantage. I mean, you think about like Duke basketball, for instance. Coach K was the brand at Duke basketball. It was not Duke. Duke was not much before he got there. He completely changed that culture. He was the guy. It was Coach K's camp. It was Coach K's team. If you think about like you know, North Carolina, legendary head coaches have gone through there too, but it's always been like, you know, Jordan, it's always been North Carolina. Those are just two examples of different ways to do it. You know, at Ole Miss, I think it's incredibly important to be the coach K. It's incredibly important to have a head coach that is relevant, that keeps your program relevant because as much as Ole Miss has grown and it absolutely has, you're still not a blue blood what makes you a blue bud is being the proof of concept, isn't it? A hundred percent is proving you can do it, proving you can do it consistently. Um, and you know, through the years and through the past, they absolutely have not done that. If you end up with a coach that's not, you know, doesn't have the brazado or doesn't have the the reputation or the resume to be considered someone you can build a brand around, you will just be forgotten. And then being forgotten is much worse than just sucking because then it's like, why are we even doing this? Like you said earlier. Yeah. I think that's a very good point because like, again, that uh, to wrap up this final thought regarding like the, what Ole Miss job is, if he were to leave, that's probably why I've done a little bit of 180 of the, I agree with the sentiment of like, what is the point of even in this or whatever? Like, I, look, I don't think Lane Kiffin will be popular at Ole Miss if he does leave in this fashion, but for whatever you think of the guy, he will take you like he has taken you to the precipice of giving over the edge, even if it doesn't turn out to be him doing it himself. And it to me, more loud looks like of like, OK, well, what do you do from here? Can you do it? This is your best opportunity to do it. And that'll be a fascinating piece of all of this. And it's kind of why I've tried to change my thinking a little bit on the last thing on this, I think, is like the grass is always greener aspect of this. I think back to Dan Mullen in 2017. Dan apparently had informed. Cohen and Keenum or whatever at some point throughout that year I've heard this on very good authority that he was like this is probably going to be my last year here like I'll probably look to go somewhere else and if you remember that Mississippi State 2018 team you talk about proof of concept man Dan Mullen coming back with Nick Fitzgerald in that last year and that defense that was the best defense in college football he bolts for Florida in that year if he stays at Mississippi State for that one year is it nuts to think they get to the playoff? Because the whole deal with that, they lost, they went, what, eight and four? And they lost literally because they wouldn't run Nick Fitzgerald. The whole, 
uh, Moorhead offense was disaster. That defense was the best defense in college football. I'll never forget that Egg Bowl. The fight in the side was just like Ole Miss cannot do anything offensively with great weapons on the outside and Jordan Talmud quarterback. And yes, I know some of that was long ago ball, but like, I just wonder if you gave truth serum to Dan Mullen with the way his career has turned out since, do you think part of him thinks I probably should have stayed, stayed at state for at least one more year and seen that team through? I don't know if that's the same thing with Kiffin. I do think he does believe he will have a very good football team next year. But that's one example I thought of. And so actually to package that into a question, let's just say he does go to Auburn. I don't know what will happen. You are going to play Alabama in your backyard every year. You will be fighting against Nick Saban in state. And even if the pod schedule stuff changes, I don't think there's a world where they don't play Georgia every year. Just my hunch from kind of the stuff I've heard about that. Is it a guarantee that he wins at an exponential level over there? I mean, it kind of goes back to the Godfrey signature win thing. Like, is the grass always greener type of thing? You know what I mean? Like. I'm not saying that's something he will or won't consider. I don't know the answer to that, but do you think that's something worth considering to where it's like, is it actually going to be greener and better and all of these things he might think at Auburn? I, it's tough to say. Um, Cause I mean, he's done a pretty damn good job here and you would assume he could do a pretty damn good job there um, and hypothetically be able to get some more talent um, at Auburn compared to Ole Miss. Historically speaking, that has been the case. Um, but in my opinion, I think just from a it, – it's going to be really tough to win there. It's going to be really tough to win there early because I know we can you can portal your way to as many fucking players as you want, but that roster is trash. That roster is terrible. It is going to be even worse if he hypothetically gets there in November um, or whatever, December. Um, you know, is he going to raid Ole Miss's roster and bring up all the good players? He, should probably, he would probably try, <laughs> I would imagine, uh, successfully or unsuccessfully. That's an impossible conversation to have. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I get what you're saying. You're at Auburn. You are judged by beating your rivals and competing for the West and championships. At Ole Miss, you are judged by, I mean, being good. I mean, it's truly I mean, being having a chance to get over the proverbial hump. Correct. Yeah, that's a much better way to put it because you're a much better speaker than I am. Um. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. I think it would be really difficult in Auburn's current state to be better than Alabama or Georgia or LSU, by the way. Yeah. Um, that's I mean, won the West in his first year, for God's sake. Yeah. So uh, it's not like they're going away anytime soon. Um, maybe he doesn't give a shit. In my opinion, I don't think he cares. I, I that's not really how you know most coaches think. I think they're going to go there and win immediately. In my opinion, and I think you share the same one. I don't think he's going to have the level of success there that he has begun to build here, um, especially not early. I mean, they don't have a quarterback on the roster. Their best defensive players go into the draft, uh, and you know, so is Tank. I mean, that's going to be a bad football team next year unless he portals his ass off, which is possible. He's done it at Ole Miss. Kelly he did it. Hypothetically, be able to do it there uh, at a pretty high clip. It, it's impossible to say. Um, I do understand why you're asking it, why we're talking about it, because I think when the expectations change, you know, the results have a different. You know, you have a different point of view of the results. Um, even Ole Miss this year, it, it feels disappointing, but at the end of the day, they have a really good chance to win nine games. And if you ask for the season, you've been fine with it. If you ask, you know, after the season, I think it would be semi-disappointing. At Auburn, that will always be disappointing, no matter what. And he might not give a shit because he's going to make so much money that it just doesn't matter, you know. And that if he wants to go back to the NFL, then, you know, then he goes and he just takes an extra stop before then. Um, I think that conversation is way overblown, um, in my opinion. I don't think he's ever going back to the NFL. Really? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I just, you just, I just don't think he is. Um, maybe somebody will hire him. I don't know uh, if the success he's had at Ole Miss so far has been like a, oh, we have to hire this guy to save our team. Um, I mean, his first stint was pretty terrible and maybe not all his fault, but you know, at the end of the day, it was. I think other college coaches have been really poor in the NFL, um, like all of them. <laughs> and I think you're going to see a, a pretty strong trend over the next four years of just not doing that um, for a multitude of different reasons. So, yeah, does he think, you know, he will? Yeah, of course, he probably thinks he will, but uh I don't think the Rams are going to, you know, Sean McVay retire and then be like, you know what, how we're going to, you know, keep this going is we're going to hire Lane Kiffin. Uh, I just don't see it. Um, so I, that's why I have such a weird feeling he's leaving, but I just don't know where he's, else he's going to go. Cause you'd already know my feelings on his Alabama prospects. Uh, they're small. So on that note, that was just a quick sidebar that made me think of that is like, so there's been a lot of conversation like does he think that going to Auburn will get him to the NFL faster whether you think he'll actually go there or not 
I don't believe that to be the case. Do you think the fact that he's at Auburn versus Ole Miss would help his candidacy in the NFL in any way? I just don't really. Absolutely not. I, I, I agree. I think that absolutely I, not. It's a dumb narrative, or I, I, I don't. Matt know. Rule went from Baylor. Went yeah, from exactly. Baylor to the NFL. It, it's. I mean, it, it doesn't it's matter. Deal, but Cliff went from Texas Tech after he got uh, being unemployed. So actually, yeah. he was not at Texas Tech. He he was he was literally uh, nowhere. Um, it doesn't matter. No, it does not matter at all. On that note, to like, I guess like wrap that part of it up is like, so Kiffin is a very practical guy, right? He is very perceptive in the modern advantages and disadvantages and what can help you win and whatnot in college football. You mentioned you don't think he necessarily cares about like any of this, a lot of the other stuff we talked about, but there probably is an element to Lane Kiffin of like, if you look at this and maybe there's stuff that he's, there's definitely some stuff that he's privy to that we're not to, but if you just look at the landscape of this, Aside from just wanting to go and wanting to take what he sees as a small step up, don't you think if he did sit in a room and kind of do a pros and cons list, it's like, yeah, this is probably not worth it. And I'm not saying that swaying his decision, but from a logical Kiffin standpoint, don't you think that would probably be his deduction? Like the advantage is minimal. I would, I would think that's definitely a possibility Uh, just in the current structure of both programs, the current structure of his team that he has here versus the team they have there the longevity of each. Yeah. I, I would imagine that if he, there's a, a, there's a world where he comes out thinking, you know, maybe I'm actually in a better spot. Is that fair for us to say that? I don't think so because in his mind, he could just be, you know, Auburn's a better job than Ole Miss. So the rest is irrelevant. I'm going to have a longer contract with more money. And wanting to out the window in his career, just go, go, go next place, next place. Sure. Uh-huh, exactly. Um, and that's why it's such a fascinating, you know, kind of thought process for many outside that are, they don't, they just say, you know, Auburn's better, you know, blah, 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 which, you know, in some ways I get, but when you really look into it, it, it doesn't make, it, it's not as uh, easy as it might There's be. There's a misconception for of what the step up is. Correct. At least in the current day and age of both programs. Yes. Um, I just, it's always so weird for me because like I just said earlier, Kiffin's opportunities past Ole Miss and say Auburn to me are much different than what it seems to, you know, even some like, you know, like even Neil and Chase and some others think, um, he has been incredible at Ole Miss. I just don't know if he has that much more out there for him besides, a really a better college job than Ole Miss. Why don't you think uh, he get the Alabama game? I just throw it out there. I mean, he was fired the week going into the national championship game. But if and they lose, Saban, that doesn't happen because your X's and O's are bad. <laughs> no, that's fair. But do you, like Saban's gone, and I imagine Saban had a pretty large influence in that decision. It's like, what do you mean this guy's going to Boca twice a day? Like, you not a little twice a day would be a little tough. But you get my point. Like, do you think if they lose Saban, do you think they will care about that? Care about what? About the, the fact path? that he was fired in fifteen, the way or, or uh, seventeen or whatever it was the way he was. You know what I mean? Do you think? I mean, yeah, I I think they will. <laughs> I think they absolutely will. Um, I mean, I don't look. I don't know the whole background of stories. Believe me, there are people that do. So I'm not gonna sit here and you know one tell the stories or two explain it out what the situation was. But the fact of the matter is that this guy did wonders for Alabama undeniably and the ending was not good 
And the big money people, including Nick Saban, who you have to believe is going to have some sort of influence on who gets that next job. That's also true. I didn't think about that. Find it real hard to believe that he's going to be their first choice. Last anecdote on that piece of it is uh, we do have a mutual friend who uh, is from Tuscaloosa, would say there's some influence there, who <laughs> echoed the sentiment one night over quite a few cocktails uh, at a wedding. <laughs> the same thing in uh, only the unique way that he can. So he seems to agree with you. And hell, that guy would know better than I would. I'd just say trust no me. No better than I would, too. Uh, he has a pretty informed neighbor, let's yes, say. Yes, he does. <laughs> Uh, who might that. might not be Nick Saban? I would say that too. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying, was just saying out there, the, the the man himself is his neighbor. That would be uh, Captain Nick there. Um, last thing on this, and I think this is the most fascinating aspect of this. You got all these glorified art, like uh, very uh, sunshiny articles about Kiffin in August about how he's a different person. You realize he needed Oxford more than he needed him. He's changed. He's got a fa- I, you know, he has a kid that's going to senior high school. Blah blah blah. He's more mature. I don't think there's any doubt that he, you know, whatever scale you want to measure on, is more mature than he was, say, with the Oakland Raiders and how things flamed out of USC. But do you think where this has happened, they just had an embarrassing loss against against a 500 club to where, I mean, Neil put it in his column, that's just not acceptable. That's not what – forget the Auburn piece. That is not what they're paying him to do right now at $7 million in change a year. That's not acceptable right now at Ole Miss. Do you think – there's an aspect of this where he has to look somewhat, I hate to get too philosophical, inside himself and think maybe this is a flaw that I have to where this is something that's negatively affecting the program I coach because I won't you know, buy back in. I, I think Chase described it in 10 thoughts to some degree. This is a little strong for my taste and not, not necessarily like to crap on his example, but Love Ole Miss back the way it has loved him because it feels like he's continuing to squeeze this juice out of the orange to the point where I'm not sure how there's much left to give, and he has these unrealable expectations that are just continue to produce it. They've given him all these resources. They've given him all these things. I just wonder if you think whether he does it or not, there is some self-reflection warranted about what Ole Miss has given to him, and at a certain point, no matter where he's at, he's going to have to like them back because the Auburn stuff, that tradition shit is very important to them. Like the kissing babies aspect of it, which for all in, like from all it sounds like doesn't really do. Like, do you think there's going to be up to some reflection at some point and just say I'm going to have to do more of that type of stuff no matter where I am, and it might start with Ole Miss if that makes sense. Maybe, maybe. Um, like I, if he took Texas and he was like, I'm not doing the song or the horns and all that. People like, you know, first season he went eight and four. They like fuck this guy. Like, you know what I mean? Like that would happen yeah. Auburn too. I just think there's some element of that that is somewhat relevant. I mean, at some point, the the guy is who he is, and you, it's it's kind of you know on you for for understanding that as one a fan base and as an administration that like this is just who he is. Um, I think that you know what Neil said is incredibly important. That you know in a complete vacuum, that game was completely unacceptable from literally any level of football. I mean, it was a joke. It was awful. A joke that I haven't seen from this team program, I mean, since like, you know, 18 Alabama or whatever that 66 to seven game was, whenever that was, I mean, that, that it felt the same way. I mean, it was like unstoppable. Um, and this team's actually good. So it's, it's just like, I don't know if he'll ever change. I don't think it necessarily matters to him. He's making a shit ton of money no matter where he goes in the future, no matter where he's at, um, the contract will always be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. 
And if he wins, then it won't matter. At Ole Miss, he's in kind of a weird status of he has won enough to not really deserve really any heat, um, but hasn't in his college head coaching career really done enough to not warrant a little bit, if that makes any sense. Like, you know, you it's hard for Ole Miss currently acts this way. Right. It's like it's it's difficult for Ole Miss currently to be frustrated with it um, because it's kind of who he is. But kind of on the flip side of my own point, it's like, what has he actually done? Yeah, no, no, no. So now we're on the same page. I see what you're saying now. Yes. You see what I'm saying? Like it's it's kind of like a weird catch 22 and how to think about it from his standpoint and from the standpoint he's currently in at Ole Miss. It's like we really can't be that frustrated. This is, is this is who he is. But then you take the step back. It's like, but if this is who he is, then is he really the guy everyone thinks he is? Yes. Like, is he really an elite football coach, an elite manager? I mean, we know what he is on offense, but overall, it's like there's, uh, you know, there are questions that need to be asked about everything. And I think it'll be important for the offseason if he does stay to have some of those questions fucking answered um, in terms of organization, in terms of roster building, in terms of, you know, is this the brand of football that we really want? Is it the brand of football that Kiffin actually wants? Uh, and maybe we're looking way too far into it. He's going to be happy making his money or hired or fired, wherever the fuck he wants to go. But uh, I, I do understand what you're saying. I, I just don't necessarily know if it matters with him. Yeah, no, no. I, I think you're exactly right on that. That's a fascinating part of this. You've worked in this industry. At the end of the day, no matter how talented you are, X's and O's, no matter how good you are as a recruiter, to some degree, to some degree, again, college football is a little different. It's about being a people person to some degree and developing relationships with people, is it not? I mean, look, yes, if you win at an absurdly high level and you're awesome on the field, nothing else matters. But I just think over a long jet, jet like a long period of time, that's nearly impossible to do if you put no stock into the people side of it. And look, People like Lane Kiffin. He's funny on Twitter. I think the the players think he's like cool in terms of like the Twitter aspect of it and the hoodies and the brand and all that. But I'll go back to uh, there's an example like a year and a half ago, and I can't remember who it was, but it was a newcomer that came to Ole Miss and it was like, "What were your first impression, kids?" And then honestly, someone said something. In fact, was like, "Honestly, thought he was a weird dude." But then I was like, "Oh, actually, this guy plays." But that's all like superficial stuff. I know this is a stupid example to bring up, but like. There was a season episode toward the end of last year as they were bowl prepping. Like, Plumley gave him a hug. It was like, Coach, are you cold on the practice field? And the guy recoiled as if he'd gotten bit by a snake. Like, he's not a very, like, touchy, lovey, feely guy. And so, without belaboring the point any further, for someone that's worked in this industry, in order to gain any sort of benefit of the doubt when things don't go your way, even to the slightest degree, you have to be a people person and build relationships. Otherwise, people will turn on you quicker. And whether it's here or Auburn or someone else, you mentioned that doesn't matter to him. I wholeheartedly agree because we haven't seen much evidence of that. But if he wants to do and accomplish the things he presumably wants to accomplish, win a national title, be an elite head coach and put his name in the history books, don't you think at some point there will have to be some of that? Otherwise, he'll just never get the benefit of the doubt long enough to do it. Uh, absolutely. I think at some point he should, should, keyword should look back in the mirror to change a little bit about himself. My, my whole pushback on this point, which is a very good one and a very smart one, 
is that I just don't think he gives a fuck. <laughs> I don't. I'm with you. I don't think he cares. Um, I think he just wants to win football games and wants to be a head coach. And I think he wants to win at the highest level, whether that's college or NFL. But guess what? If you do this shit in the NFL, if he treat like had like these press conferences and just this laissez-faire kind of just hip Kiffin being Kiffin, like they don't put up with that either. That's real money up there. So that's why it's just like it's the whole thing is such a weird situation because he is done enough at Ole Miss to deserve to being close to not questioned. But I just don't know if he like will go anywhere else and change because the expectations are different. And that's not a slight on Ole Miss. That's just the fact that they've been a really good football team for two years. Like you've got a coach that's done a really good job here. You really shouldn't be on his ass, but he has garnered that because he looks for jobs every single year. He acts the way that he does. I think he's been better this year. I think, like you said, in the summer, talking about Oxford and some certain things, it's almost hard to find it, to find it like real. That made but it so newsworthy, it, the fact that it happened at all, right? Right. But he says, I mean, even the postgame comments about after Arkansas, like he didn't have to say that stuff. He did, which is like interesting to an extent, but I don't know if I actually believe any of it. I think it's just smart on his part to, you know, kind of deal with the situation he's in right now, but it's just him. He's such an interesting and frustrating coach and person and personality. And he's at right now he's old misses to deal with. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see what happens if he stays or goes. I, I think it'll be honestly more interesting to see what happens if he stays. Does anything change? Does he have that right, that kind of self reflection that you talked about that like, okay, I'm here now. There's only so many places I would have gone and I've now not gone to any of them. Like I, maybe I do have to change now. Um, but if he ends up going to Auburn, I don't think anything changes. I agree. I mean, if he doesn't learn it in this moment, I don't think he ever learns it. I'm with you on that. And one quick note I did miss was talking about the post-game press conference. Credit to Neil and for whatever people think of him, credit to Brandon Marcello, even though he was literally there for that story. They asked him point blank. And I thought this was interesting. He got asked about from Neil about whether he thought this was like that had an effect on them. And he kind of recoiled and he I'm a big like eye contact guy. I'm not like a, a CIA investigator or anything, but like, you know, when someone look, I can tell when someone's lying to me, I've done enough interviews through the years. He like looked down to the right and like recoiled a little bit because I don't know, like he didn't really answer the question because there's a lot of analytics about the Alabama hangover, which is hilarious quote because the Alabama hangover is quite literally not quantifiable by analytics. It is literally a eye test theory of just stuff out there about teams the way they play the it's, next it's week. A, I call it's a smart guy trying to act smart and sounding real stupid. That's what people say now. <laughs> if they want to sound smarter than they are, they just say Terrible. analytics. Like, actually, that's Terrible not an analytic. That's just an anecdotal piece of evidence. It, but the, he kind of recoiled and was like, I don't know. But that made me think that it probably did register with him, but he was like, eh, I don't want to address that right now or I don't want to believe that. It kind of like struck me as something that someone didn't want to believe, even though in the back of their head, they might think it's probably a little true. And then the last piece of it, Neil asked Dart, or someone asked Dart about that and Neil followed up and said, you know, he said, I'm just, we're just all trying to focus on what we can control and win a football game here today. And Neil said, well, was it hard for you personally? And Dart just goes, I'm just focused on what I can control. Dart could have said, and again, these guys are robots. I'm not putting any stock into what a 19-year-old kid said in the moment in a press conference. He goes, but he he had a, a Dart could have said, no, wasn't difficult at all. It's not a non-issue. Dart literally just looked down and goes, just wanted to focus on what I could control. That to me, if you want to talk about whether they're distracted or not, like back toward the top of our conversation, 
that told me everything you needed to know. That was a non-answer for a reason, I thought. But before we move on to the SEC and soccer corner, do you think they win the Egg Bowl? Oh, yeah, I actually do. I do, too. I, I do. Um, more I, I matchup related than anything else. It's, it's more of a matchup related thing. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see how much pride this team has. Um, I mean, obviously, this game for many, many people, including the team and the you know the whole program, is important. Uh, it's not that important to me, except for I'd like for them to beat Mississippi State. Um, I, I think State is going to put out all the stops. For whatever their ability to do that is, it's the biggest uh, game of Leach's career. Yes, or career stretch. Sorry, at state. Tenure at state. How's that say? At state. Tenure at state. Sorry. Correct. 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 Um, I think that it's just. I think the better matchup. I think we opened up as a five-point favorite after getting blown out on the road against Arkansas. Uh, that says a lot. Uh, this team plays, as we always say on this podcast, much, much better. better at home. Um, I think the way that Leach does his offense, even if they do run the ball more, they're not good at it. Um, they have really good running backs. They, they those kids are. I mean, Marks, uh, Jaquavius Marks, yeah, yeah, and the, the other few, like those are good and players. Woody, whatever his name. No, that's Woody Marks. Sorry, and the other. Yeah, kid. yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, it'll be a challenge. It'll be. I think this is going to be much more of a, a bullshit fest than uh, past egg bowls. Um, I, you can just kind of feel it in the air. If it makes any you sense, can. you can feel it coming. Um, which is so, which is such an embarrassment. I mean, you, you've already seen all the tweets about like, you know, the the funny video of the unsportsmanlike conduct on every player on both teams coming out. Uh, this has become such a laughing stock game. Um, which is like really frustrating. Um, and it's like, you know, it's no one's fault in particular, uh, except for both teams. <laughs> That's really it. Um, and you can call, you know, of course, the freeze and mull and stuff, but we're pretty past that. It's hyping it. up the robbery. That's whose fault it is. It's two programs trying to drag each other back into the mud instead of go and descend beyond it. I mean, that's just, it's it's plain as day now. And one team has tried to extend beyond it and state hasn't. And look where that's gotten them, to be completely honest. Like, yeah, I completely agree. Whatever. Um, I we don't have to get too much in this game. I think they're going to win. Uh, I don't think it'll be comfortable. I think it'll be tough. Uh, I think if they don't tackle and don't get pressure on Will Rogers, they're in for a long day. Uh, but I do think they'll be able to score on State. Uh, you better not throw the ball to Manuel Forbes because he's on a tear this year. Uh, I, I think they're going to be more. I think they will be more focused because they fucking have to be. Uh, yep. It's going to be a short week. It's Thanksgiving. It's the only thing you can focus on. Uh, it's the last game of the season. It's senior day at home. That like you can't be distracted with this deal. Like, and if you are, we will. Everybody watching on TV and in the stadium will know after the first drive. I mean, if that what this kind of game is going to be like. Um, I think they're going to be much better. I think they're going to want to end on a high note. I think Kiffin, for all of his you know Kiffinness, uh, has an ego, has some pride doesn't want to lose this game. I think he has actually found himself to really like this rivalry more than he even thought he would. I think if you just watch him on the sidelines the past two years they've played, uh, he kind of gets it. It's over yeah. last year, yeah. You no, know, absolutely. I think I think he doesn't like them at all. Um, he loves Leach. He hates the he Cowbells. That is 100% he hates Cowbells. Um, I, I think he – kind of he's fueled by some of the players on how they feel about it. So I, I think he cares about this game more than he may even let on. Um, I think they win. Yeah. The, the, the robbery thing is hilarious to me. Cause like our college friends, you're the same way. 
like we we were friends in college and like you were you're younger than me but like the out-of-state people are like yeah, i don't really get this and like the in-state people are like no 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 this is it and it is important from that perspective because most of the big money decision makers and people that matter at Ole Miss I mean Keith Carter Ole Miss alone like this game matters to them so we'll see how that turns out let's bounce around the SEC real quickly before we get to our uh, esteemed well-researched World Cup preview light slate in the SEC I would love to start with my favorite team to just absolutely bag on just like Kiffin uh, A&M man I get it's in the rain there's no one in that game I found myself neglecting a lot of good football for the first quarter and a half of the 11 o'clock slate just to watch this i i mean it's three to three and umass is driving and i'm like they're a one in nine team with a win over like holy cross it's like this this is remarkable they win the game 20 to three not that it matters at all i, I just i the stark contrast that felt like houston not getting beat 27 to 7 against la tech the week after he got fired in 2008 or 2011 excuse me Oh my God! What, what again? The contract's the only thing keeping him there. I, 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 I'm at a loss for words of how that looked and felt for an SEC West program that started the year ranked number six in the country. I don't know what else to say, but holy cow! I mean, did you see the amount of players that did not play on Saturday? It was it, he. The guy could not put it in one tweet because there were too many names. He had to go reply to his own tweet to continue the list. They're all from the freshman class last year. And they're like, all gone, right? Don't you I think? Mean, they've all got to be gone. I mean, they have to be at this point. I mean, whether it's a kind of like a cultural rebuild or like these guys have been actually like a serious problem or is it an NIL issue, I don't know. Um, it'll be fascinating. Like they, they will be the most interesting team, um, of course, unless Lane leaves for Auburn, uh, in December when the portal opens. That team is going to be fascinating to see how many leave, how many stay, who do they bring in, do they keep the money train rolling, um, all of the above. I mean, it's 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 going to be a fascinating, fascinating offseason for them. Um, my hot take, though, I think they beat LSU <laughs> on <What>? Saturday. <laughs> I really? think they do it. I'm telling you, I don't know why. I, this feels like a Jimbo revenge game for not uh, for not going to LSU. Uh, he hates them. Um, it's going to be a full crowd Saturday nights. Maybe Jimbo brings some of these freshmen back and they play. LSU has been a verifiably different team on the road. It's got some weird, weird some weird there. Um, maybe they don't actually beat them, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than the experts think. How about that? I think it's going to be a closer game. I do. Are they at all a cautionary tale that NIL is not the end-all, be-all, while a great advantage? If you don't have a competent leader in charge, it doesn't really matter because the amount of talent they have versus the output is so shocking to me. It's it's or actually – it's like revolutionary. I think we talked hit on it a little bit. Like there maybe has never been a more talented football roster. And don't say they're not talented because I can literally name every fucker yes. on their defense. These guys are players. They're on offense. These guys are players. I don't think there's ever been a team this talented to have a season this pathetic. Maybe, especially in like the modern college football age, there's not a team I can think of. Um, except for, I think we brought up the the Brian Kelly four and eight year, but that team probably was not as talented as this one. Uh, it is it's legitimately shocking how bad they are. And I mean, will the changes happen? It's hard to say. Will he just accept, you know, that this is who he is and he'll, he'll try to figure it out on his own? Will they let him even do that? Uh, it, it's tough. I, I do not know. It's it's 
staggering, and I'm and they will be the most fascinating team, you know, depending on what happens with Ole Miss in the offseason. Uh, really, the only other significant one outside of our Vandy doors, which we'll get to in just a half second, uh, Tennessee, South Carolina. Oh, my God. I Again, that dominated my TV in the second half because of the Ole Miss game. I, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, South Carolina had been absolutely putrid offensively for basically all of the year. Even in the games that they won, they weren't good offensively against A&M. They got gifted 17 points and held on for dear life. What did what did they? How did this happen? What what did they do? This was the most shocking result, maybe of the year. I really wish I had had more time to actually watch this football game because I was at dinner. Um, they just threw it down the field on them. Play after play after play after play. All, I just remember getting group texts from like our family. We have like a boys' family group text with uncles and boy cousins, everything, and my little brother would just text Cox. Cox, Cox. And it was like repeatedly because they scored so many points on Tennessee. You were able to, to, to text me that that many times. Um, I'm, I'm going to have this rewatch is going to be interesting. I'm going to do it tomorrow or something. I got the AC guy coming out of figure out something to do while waiting for that. Um, it's unexplainable. It, it's unimaginable. This, this South Carolina team has been so anemic offensively, including Spencer Rattler. I mean, he has been, bad this year legitimately bad and they 30 of 37 438 six touchdowns it's it's like an ano- anomalic if that's even a word an anomaly it, it is unexplainable <laughs> the offensive production in that game against a tennessee defense that is like not that bad it is not that bad i but, thought they were pretty good for the second pretty half. good i mean i i, I usually would say good because their defensive line is shown to be good I, it's hard to even explain. I saw Hinton Hooker tore his ACL, unfortunately. I know that was wow. later. I know that was later in the game. Uh, a pretty, pretty sobering reality for Tennessee this year um, on kind of what it takes to be lucky and, and get where you need to go. But this was like, what a just a hurricane of bullshit. <laughs> I mean, just and it's impossible to even put thoughts to it because it's so uh, like unimaginable that they would put sixty three on that team. Is there a – I don't want to call the the Kiffin hypo, the whole browse tree, tempo, and all that wide splits. It's definitely not gimmicky. Everyone's going to it. But is there been a recipe to figure it out? Because I, the South Carolina team that could not bring pressure and get the quarterback had a little bit better success doing that. But it just seemed like, hey, we're not going to get beat deep on 15 to 35-yard plays. Kept everything in front of them. I mean, Tennessee averaged seven yards of completion. I just wonder if there's a bit of a blueprint out there for that now. Maybe it's a total anomaly. Well, there's, there's always been a blueprint, and Georgia showed it to you two weeks ago, which is you play man and you bully them and you rush the quarterback with four, and if you have the dudes, you can stop it. Um, they showed you that, which is probably like the biggest sign of concern for Alabama is that they absolutely could not do that against this team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's a blueprint there. The, the the weird thing is South Carolina doesn't have that. <laughs> so it's right. it's hard it's to explain how it basically it. Yeah, no, completely. Uh, so, I mean, I didn't really get to watch this game. I wish I had. Bad podcast, bad me. But, um, I mean, the result is it wouldn't even matter because it's such a, a ridiculous result. Yeah, well, I mean, we're paying you upper seven figures, but not enough to miss dinner. Um, <laughs> last thing before we get to the World Cup, just up the doors, the Vanderbilt Commodores. I had a feeling they might do this. I've actually picked against them. No, I didn't. I picked them in Neil's picks, but I did outline. I was like, this is an emotional pick. They're probably overvalued here. I just have like a soft spot for them for a number of different reasons. They handle Florida mightily. 
and they're playing good football. This is a team that's playing good football at the end of the year. It's a damn shame they couldn't capitalize against South Carolina or a Missouri or someone like that because that could have gotten them to bowl eligibility. And that's a really, I think, you know, that beyond the extra practices, that would have been an absolutely huge, huge moment for that program. But I don't really have much of analysis on this other than good for Clark Lee, man. Those kids playing the way they do at the end of this year, despite having really nothing to show for it for the past two and a half years, is remarkable. They keep getting back up off the mat. It's like, we're not going to win this game. We're not going to win this game. We're not going to win this game. They have back-to-back SEC wins now. And that's hard to do in this league, even when you're halfway competent and good. I don't have much of analysis other than that was incredibly awesome to see Vanderbilt storming the field in a single file line, even though it was like over half <laughs> of sand. That video. It was very on brand, but just awesome for Clark Lee. I mean, I don't really have anything else to say. I'm just very happy to see that. That's awesome. He's getting results. Look, there are decent programs that go two and six in the SEC. Like the fact that they get two wins on paper is absolutely massive. Talk about proof of concept. That is, this is his proof of concept, whether they upset Tennessee and get to a bowl next week, which I don't think they do. But congrats to him. That's amazing to see. Uh, yeah, no hooker next week. You never know. That is true. You I never didn't know. Like- uh, you never know. Uh, no, it's it's incredibly impressive. And I mean, I think this this team last year was like almost losing to East Tennessee State, who Mississippi State put sixty on this year. They lost twenty three to three. That was Clark Lee's. They first lost game. that game. They lost, lost three that touchdowns. Game. Okay. Yeah. Not good. Um. Not. How much you want? Um, that's not ideal, as you like to say, or what suboptimal. Suboptimal. Um, <laughs> um, and then now they beat Florida at home for the first time since 1988. Um, it's a long time ago. It doesn't feel like it is, but it is. Uh, it's it's really impressive. It's it is an incredibly difficult job. And next year they might not even be as good. It's not like they're going to continue to get better. It, just the the ability to to put all of that. Um, all of that hard work and all of the culture and all those, you know, classic buzzwords together at a place like Vanderbilt, those buzzwords are like, that is it. Like, that's what you have to do there. Um, they are, they're athletic. They know exactly who they are. Lee coaches like a perfect balance of aggressive and, you know, simple at the same time, you know, they know when they need to do, they know who they are. It's impressive. Now on the other side, it's year one, Billy Napier on a pretty bad roster. No real excuse to lose to Vanderbilt in a pretty handily fashion. I know the final score was by a touchdown, but uh, it was never in doubt. I watched a shit ton of this game. I uh, did too. Second half, I was like, a lot of it, uh, and they weren't that close. Um, they're recruiting really well at Florida. He's a really good coach. My stock took a little dip, I would say, after this. Uh, rightfully so. Um, I'm, I'm still. I'm still bullish on what they're going to do there. I mean, even Richardson, like he played terrible. Like it's it's really hard to have any consistency when you have a quarterback as talented and as inconsistent as him. It's like you just never know who's showing up, and it's like I can't coach to this. I mean, it's it's impossible. Um, their defense, year, their right? defense has been terrible all year, so that's nothing new. I don't care who you're playing; like, they have been legitimately bad. Uh, I think in a few years, it, it's going to be fine. I don't care what anyone says. Like that, Billy Napier is good at his job. Uh, he basically said in the beginning of this year, like, you know, tamper your expectations, uh, unlike somebody at Miami who said we're going to win, you know, the conference. Uh, so, no, I, I mean, it's it's not a good look, but I'm not like ready to completely say he's, you know, fucking fired midway through next year either. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this last one before we get to the World Cup thing, but I did find an interesting, admirable effort by Kentucky defensively against Georgia, but just not enough on offense. 
I don't really get the Levis thing. You know, there was uh, I saw a draft guy was like huge opportunity for Levis here against a good defense. It's like really we're still doing this. I don't really see it. But the big thing that came out of this was they lose this game. I thought this is a mark um, a year where Mark Stoops maybe like I reached my ceiling here. I can do everything I can do. And then it comes out that he signed a gigantic extension that's going to pay him eight million dollars a year more than John Calipari, which I know probably is not necessarily insignificant to Stoops. Were you surprised by that? I thought this might be a year. Maybe it doesn't stop him from getting out. I, I don't really know when this, you know, contracts seem to be just made up crap in college football these days. You can do anything you want. Were you surprised right. by that news? I thought this might be a year where he's like, ah, I, I've done everything I can do, greener pastures and move on. But it sounds like he's staying. Slightly surprised. Um, not completely, because if you're Kentucky, you know he's probably going to be looking elsewhere, uh, including down at Auburn. And if you want him to stay, and uh, you know, I, I have it on decent authority that uh, Auburn reached out to him and he said no thanks. Uh, and he got rewarded with the contract. Um, I mean, what is that true or not? I don't know. I have different people I talk to, you talk to different people. I'm not a reporter. Um, you're more of a reporter, <laughs> but not exactly. Oh, the same. Yeah, We're not yeah. breaking any news in this loosely. Um, loosely. Um, so, you know, yeah, I'm not surprised. You know, there's going to be Iowa. There's going to be Auburn. There's going to be, you know, who knows what else could possibly open up. Uh, and we're in college football. You're in the business of extending people, whether they deserve it or not, because it's kind of what the name of the game and what the market is, i.e. Missouri. Uh, so I mean, I'm not really surprised, especially kind of what you've been hearing or, or what I've been hearing throughout the week on, you know, some of his stuff. So it's a little weird. Um, I think Kentucky's Kentucky. They kind of, as a football program, like have maybe the lowest expectations outside of Vanderbilt. I, that's um, fair. I think that's fair. Uh, he has raised the standard. But I don't think the expectations have necessarily changed. And you've got a good football coach who runs a good program. There's no reason to do anything else there. It would have been all him if he would have left. And I don't think he is. No, no. I just was more surprised that he took it. I don't blame them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I I just like he's staying. But uh, all right. Well, be that as it may, it's now time for the fastest growing segment on American soil. Once every four years edition. When we're doing this podcast in 15 years or 16 years, we'll be covering our like fourth World Cup. We have the World Cup that began today. Um, a lot of human rights takes being thrown around on the internet. Not really interested in that side of it. We're just interested in the soccer as football lifers here as we are on this podcast. I do have to say, the beer thing, I, that would make me revolt more than any other thing that's been happening in Qatar since. Maybe I'm just an, uh, you know, an insensitive asshole, but... I've, I've spent all that money to go over there. I'm there two days for the World Cup. And I actually, we're not going to allow beer in here. I would just riot. I'd just be like, you know what the hell with this? Like, this is awful. I, I, I guess we'll start with that piece of it. We talked about there being de- like a down marketing year for the World Cup. This seems like a awesome – one of the – look, I used to make fun of soccer. It's one, It's the arguably the greatest sporting event on earth. But this is a damn shame this is such a shit show amidst what is otherwise a spectacle. Like, come on. Oh, it, it- it sucks. I mean, it really does awesome. suck. And we, we, you know, hit on it a little bit, but like, I'm not going to care. I mean, I watched the game today. Like everyone's going to watch, but you just don't, it doesn't feel the same. I mean, when you were going to South Africa, like just the scenes of that country and even, even the freaking Shakira song, like, you know, everything was just like really exciting, really cool. And now we've had two world cups in a row in Russia, you know, the Putin world cup. And this one where it's like, this fucking sucks. All the like surrounding noise, all the nonsense. 
I mean, just the the assumption that like everything is going to go wrong and everything has, you know, kind of this point really kind of gone wrong. Uh, it, it does take a little joy out of it, um, which is so ironic because when you when you do this and you're so corrupt and you bribe to get this tournament and you're trying to sports wash your way, you know, with a World Cup, you're supposed to make your country seem better. And make people ignore, you know, the human right, rights issues and all of like, you know, whatever else they have going on that's wrong and be like, oh, here's the World Cup there. It looks awesome. That's literally not what's happened. Everything has been so shitty with it that it's like it defeats even the purpose of sports washing in the first place um, by them and by FIFA. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely disappointing, but uh, I'm still pretty excited for the whole thing in general, which maybe is the whole point. I don't know. I, I thought we started against England. You brought this up in earlier on Twitter in the week. We're playing a country called Wales. I'm not even sure that's a real place or a real country. I get that they have Gareth Bale, but I would just like to see they haven't gained their independence from England. Like we did that 300 <laughs> years ago. What what are these guys doing? I don't understand that piece of it. We play Wales on Monday as we record this on a Sunday night. Our group is Iran, uh, England, and Wales. The United a, States a political, have, the most interesting political group out of all. By the far. only thing we could throw in there is Russia and Saudi Arabia, and that would just make it an absolute just concoction of political takes being thrown around. We should get out of this group with England, correct? Iran is kind of the barometer here. Is that correct? And they're not bad, as you explained last week. They're pretty good. But the United States, if they are a real soccer country on the up and up new talent, we should get out of this group, correct? You should. Emphasis on should. Uh, this is a this is a more difficult group than it looks for the casual soccer fan. Uh, Wales has a team with a few really good players and high upside. Uh, they are not as good as the U.S. I don't know what the odds are um, on it, but um, they're also a team. Uh, these guys have played together for a while. You know, some of these guys are a little older. You know, they've kind of been under a similar regime. They kind of know who they are. And then you have the the X factor with Bale. Yes, he's much older than he has been. This will probably be his last international tournament with them. But he is a complete and total game changer at any second. Um, the U.S. doesn't really have a guy like him. They have a lot of really good players, but not like a takeover, score a goal, change the complete outcome of the game player. Um Against England, they've had some injury issues, um, as many teams have had, uh, but they're still, you know, in terms of depth, like just miles ahead of the U.S. Does that really matter? No, it doesn't. Um, I think they're a really hard matchup with some of the injuries the U.S. have in their back, um, which makes it so much more important to beat Wales tomorrow so that you know that Man, if you can escape with one point against England and you end up with four in the first two games, I mean, you're almost certainly going through. Um, you end up losing to Wales, then you could be in real trouble because that last game against Iran will be not a gimme um, at all. I don't know a whole lot about Iran's team. Uh, they finished first in their qualifying in the Asian group. Uh, they have been to multiple World Cups. They you know, famously were beating Argentina for 98 minutes until Messi had one of the most ridiculous goals you'll ever see. Um, they're very, very solid. And the U.S. has been prone to losing to solid teams. They're pretty good against loose teams with better competitions, but Iran is, is a defensive counterattacking team that can that can really be difficult to score on. So, yes, you should, you should get out of this group in second place. 
um, an off chance at even first place with with some of like England not really being the most informed they've been uh, after the Euros, but uh, it's not going to be easy. And just to, on that note, it's like, so I looked up the odds. The odds to win the group is England is the heavy, heavy favorite, but the second best is actually Wales at plus 550. I don't know about in terms of getting out of the group in second place, but you would think along those lines, USA slightly third best odds, but basically a wash. After missing the World Cup in 20, whatever the hell that was, 2018, they lost to a place I didn't know existed, Trinidad and Tobago. I'd actually like to have someone point that out to me on a map. If you don't get out of this group, you talk about this new influx of talent. This is a big black eye on the United States soccer, isn't it? And this whole thing they've been building towards for the last couple of years. I mean, yes. Yes. We'll go with yes. Okay. Um, with where the U.S. is at and just the way that world football works, they don't have the opportunity to play in many competitions on a grand stage. This is really the only one. Uh, the Gold Cup, which is our version of the Euros, is always a combination of the U.S. versus you know, Jamaica or Mexico or Canada. And from a international level, no one really gives a shit. Whereas South America, you've got, you know, their competition, the common ball cup or whatever. And then you, the euros, you have those every four years with the world cup. And that's a major tournament with major international exposure. Uh, the U S flaming out in the group would be tough. Is it a black eye, a death nail uh, to the interests of soccer around the world and in the U S no, I mean, that's a little hyperbolic. Um, it wouldn't be the first time they've been knocked out of a group. Uh, but it definitely is important to put on, a, you know, a good foot forward because you haven't been there in a while. You you can lose interest quickly. But I don't think I think we've gotten to a point with soccer where it's it's growing so rapidly in this country and its popularity that it's not going to end if the U.S. have a flame out in the World Cup. Just looking real quick at the odds on winners of this thing, Brazil is the favorite. You actually have two South American countries as the top two favorites, according to this site that I just put up, Vegas Insider. So it's Brazil, Argentina, followed by France and England. I actually listened to a Ringer World Cup preview earlier this week where they talked about France, like the Brooklyn Nets. They have a bunch of talent, but not enough chemistry. Who do you think wins this sucker? Is Brazil the overwhelming favorite? Like, who do you think actually wins this thing? Because apparently a South American country winning this would be a big deal because it's been dominated by Europe for the last little bit. It's like, where are these South American uh, countries? Like, it seems like they are having a very strong um, hype heading into this World Cup, whether it be a country like Uruguay or, or Ecuador or something like that, even beyond the obvious Brazil and Argentina. How do you see this playing out? Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to say because Europe has done so well in this competition, not only winning it, but like kind of being like the last four, the last six, last eight. I mean, they, they've dominated. Um this year, I do feel like it will be very different. I think Brazil and Argentina are not overwhelming favorites, but I think they're the two best teams in the competition. Uh, Brazil is, I think, the deepest team in the competition. They've had like not a whole lot of injury issues. They have been just really damn good for the last two years. Who uh, plays for them? Give me names. Like name is that Neymar? Neymar. Okay. They have Neymar. I mean, their front, their front three of potentially Neymar, Vinicius Jr., who plays for Real Madrid, who is electric. He's going to be like one of those guys where like the casual soccer fans would be like, who the hell is this dude? Um, he will be that guy of this tournament. There's always one. Um, and then on the other side, it could be Rafina, Rodrigo, or Anthony, who plays for United. They, they have like – They're loaded. They're loaded up top. In the midfield, they're probably not as good as they usually are. 
but they've got enough quality there. Casemiro plays for United. Fred plays for United. Uh, Paqueta plays for West Ham. They have enough guys there. And then defensively, they're going to be just fine, which is actually usually their biggest issue. Uh, but they, they're pretty solid there. And then they have the two best goalkeepers in the world. Um, they can play whichever one they want, but either one is, is fine. Uh, one plays for Liverpool, one plays for City. Uh, just depth-wise, they will be able to put out lineups for every single game because this is a depth competition. You can't play your starting 11 every single game. I mean, those guys will be gassed immediately, and it's hot as shit over there, even though it's November. Um, Argentina is right behind them. I think their their top-level talent is similar. Uh, I, I do not think they're near as deep as Brazil. Um, I don't think they're as deep as even England. Um, but, you know, day by day, they're, they're capable of being the best team in the world um, in any single game. Um, England and France are two teams I'm staying away from. Okay. France – uh, they're probably two most informed and two best players that are not Kylian Mbappe are out for the World Cup. Uh, that's Christopher Nkuku. He plays for injury? injury. Okay. Uh, they both got injured in training on the week ahead of the tournament. Uh, Kareem Benzema is a striker, golden ball, ball to or winner, uh, striker for Real Madrid. And then Nkuku, who plays for RB Leipzig, uh, Red Bull Leipzig, who's probably going to Chelsea next year. Two incredible players. They're out. Uh, they've had a lot of issues. They've sucked in every match, or not every match, but they've sucked in competitions in the last two years after the Euros. They weren't really good in the Euros. I'm fading them. Um, England is really good. They are really defensive. They are uninspiring, and I just don't think they have the guns to win this one. I, I don't think they do. Um they should have won the Euros, but I think this team is different. I think they've had a few injuries. A few guys are too old. A few guys are out. Um, I, I don't think they trust their manager, who they don't love anymore, and neither does the whole country. I just There's too many other teams that are better than them. I don't think they get it done. Okay, so World Cup winners, give me a long shot. Like, Who do you like as maybe like a plucky underdog in this? I've heard a lot of uh, Uruguay. I've heard a lot of Denmark talk. Who do you think maybe like if they get in the final, the semifinals – People are shocked. Like, who do you like in that regard? Uh, I've got two. Uh, I've got Uruguay being one. Uh, I think they're going to have the best, like, midfield and a striker. Uh, not Maybe not the best. They've got Valverde, who is playing for Real Madrid. He's a midfielder. You see they have a lot of Real Madrid players. They're ridiculous. Um, he's maybe, like, in most informed player in the world. Um, and they've got a good midfield. They've got two strikers and Cavani. I think Suarez made the team, I think. And Darwin Nunez, who plays for Liverpool, I think from a sheer upside and their odds, which is like 60 to one, I, I like them as a as a potential long shot. Plus, they're, they're a country with a shit ton of pride. They play hard. They've been in this competition a million times. They've got players that have played in this competition. Like So they've got some experience that will help. Um Serbia is my other one. They are like 55 or 60 to one as well. Um, they they might have the best three-man attack in the entire thing uh, with Lahovic, Tadic, and the guy that plays for Fulham, uh, Mitrovic. Uh, Depth-wise, I'm not even going to lie to you and tell you I know what their depth's like, but I know that they're top, they're, they're, they're high-end top players 
in the attack are as good as anybody in this competition. That can take you a long way if you score a lot of goals, obviously. Um, I love them. I love them to win their group. I love them to at least make like, you know, maybe the semifinal. I'm a huge fan of theirs. Then kind of not as much of a long shot, but is in kind of like the 14 to one, 13 to one would be the Netherlands. Um, Louis van Gaal has coached this team in the world cup before he's been back and forth and back and forth. They've got really good, really, really good midfield, really good defense. They just like a, all the spine, the whole spine of the team is really solid. Uh, I like, I think they have a chance to do pretty well and they're going to advance out of a pretty easy group, which makes those odds a little bit more palatable. So Croatia, is this accurate in the extensive research I did the last world cup, uh, Croatia was the runner up. They made a world cup final. Yeah, and they, that team was awesome. Like, they were well-deserved to be there. They were a um, an underdog for sure. But, I mean, if you actually go look through their team, like, that that team was pretty stacked too. It's it's not completely out of nowhere. Um, but definitely an underdog story. But they were really, really good. Italy wins the Euros but screws up World Cup qualifying. I yeah. read – I saw a take on the ringer, which is basically my go-to for a lot of the research of this. It was like, hey, if you win the Euros, you should just be in the World Cup. I get it. At the end of the day, it's on Italy. Like, hey, why not just, you know, maybe, you know, get out of your qualifying. Yeah. Is that a bummer? Like, you have really one of the most prominent soccer clubs in the world, right? They won a World Cup in, like, 06 or whatever it was. To not oh, yeah. have to win it, that seems very odd. Like, what is your take on that? Is it a bummer that Italy is not in this? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's a team that usually when it's not the U.S., I usually end up cheering for Italy for you know okay. a multitude of reasons. I love the blue jerseys. I love the fact that their managers wear Armani suits on the sidelines. I mean, they're, yeah. they're I cool. Them. Italy's cool. Like, I, I love Italy. So I usually end up cheering for them. This is the second straight World Cup they have missed, I believe. Whoa. Um, they, yeah, I think this is the second straight they've missed. Um or maybe two out of the last three that they've missed, which is like unacceptable for a team as talented, a country as talented as sure. they are um, past, present, future. I mean, they're incredible. Uh, so yeah, it's a pretty big bummer because you fill them in with, uh, I mean, I don't even know who ended up like Switzerland's a really good team, not as exciting, but they're very good. I think they're in the same group as them. And I, I don't know who else, but yeah, missing them. And uh, is a pretty big bummer. Them in Colombia are probably the two, teams where it's like damn like wish we could have found a way to to have them in it seems like ever since narco soccer went down it's been a long road for the last thing i have for you say we uh beat this country that's supposedly real called wales if the united states somehow figures out a way to beat england the day after thanksgiving where would that rank in terms of the biggest moments in u.s soccer history if they were to win these first two games that would be number one Whoa, okay. I'm in on this now. Okay. I think the in my history of you know United States men's national sure. team. Well, they they beat Mexico in the knockout round, the Dos Acero game. Yeah. Uh, which is which is huge for a multitude of different reasons. Um beating England in a World Cup, I think, in my opinion, I could be wrong on this because I'm younger and not as you know. It's funny we talk about all this soccer. I don't even know it that well, but I know it enough. Um, I could talk a lot more NFL, college basketball, whatever. But I like talking it because it's my new favorite sport. Um, it would be bigger. I mean, the one-one game in 2010. I mean, that was. I mean, you remember the? Do you have you ever seen the newspaper in New York? Yeah, yeah it's Yanks win one-one or USA beats England one-one. I mean, like that's. That's what it kind of is. I mean, the, the team that invented the sport that has 
you know, should have won the European championships to beat them in their group, you know, it would, would be as big as anything. So, I mean, I think it would be number one. That might be incorrect because of the the winning and the knockout. I think they got to the semifinal or quarterfinal in 2002. Um, but this, I think just where soccer's at and where this team's at, I think it'd be bigger. This has been the fastest growing segment on American Soil Worldwide Edition. It is Soccer Corner. He is Walden Rodenberg. Appreciate the time every week, my man. We'll holler at you next week. All right, Rip. See you. All right, that is our show. If you made it to the end, I appreciate you making this podcast a part of your day. We'll be back at it something before the Egg Bowl, and then our uh, Friday Egg Bowl show will probably be the version of the Sunday podcast. So three pods for you this week. Just not quite sure what order they are going to come in yet, but uh, stay tuned. We'll have something for you this week. Y'all have a great start to your week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.